Today on the Matt Wall Show, chaos in D.C. yesterday as a group of Trump supporters stormed the Capitol building. I want to talk about what led up to those events. The media and the left for months were openly justifying and encouraging riots and political violence. Today they say that none of that had anything to do with the riot in D.C. But I think there's a very obvious connection, which we'll discuss today. Also, five headlines, including more on the mother and military veteran who was shot and killed by Capitol Police during the riot and President Trump is suspended from Twitter, plus our daily cancellation and much more today on The Matt Wall Show. Now, it's really impossible to overemphasize the importance of protecting your online data. You know, if you're going to be online, as we all are, uh, you have to realize that your data is susceptible to being stolen and your identity is susceptible to being stolen. And that's why you have to protect yourself. And that's where LifeLock comes in. You know, sensitive personal medical data could be exposed as a recent analysis suggests an increase in cybersecurity attacks on pharmaceutical workers. The increase in remote work from home has coincided with the targeting of smartphones and tablets of people working in pharmaceuticals with phishing and malware attacks. That's why it's, it's just important to understand how cybercrime and identity theft are affecting our lives. Every day we put our information at risk on the internet. And cyber criminals around the world, they keep finding new ways to steal your information. They're always, always innovating new ways to, um, to cause you a lot of trouble, basically. And that's why you need LifeLock. LifeLock detects a wide range of identity threats, like your social security number being for sale on the dark web. And if they find out that something like that is happening, they're going to they're gonna immediately send you an alert. And God forbid, if you do have a problem, they've also got specialists on the staff who can help you uh, restore uh, your identity and get things back to where they need to be. Nobody can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but LifeLock can see threats that you might miss on your own. Join now and save 25% off your first year. Go to lifelock.com Walsh. That's lifelock.com Walsh for 25% off. It is being demanded that we view yesterday's events in D.C. as if they occurred without precedent. Nothing of importance or relevance preceding them. Right-wing Trump supporters stormed the Capitol building, vandalized, fought with police, rained down anarchy. And there was no catalyst for any of it, no underlying reason other than Donald Trump and his incitements. This is how we're meant to see it. But I think it's important that we learn from our experiences in this country, especially when those experiences are horrendous and disgraceful, as they were in this case. And learning means understanding, which often means stepping back and taking a wider view. And we don't need to widen the lens very much to see that the rioting and violence on Capitol Hill this week happened to occur after many months of violent riots across the nation. Violent riots which were defended, even romanticized, by many prominent voices in the media and government. Now, I'll be accused of whataboutism for refusing to pretend that this particular bit of chaos erupted in a, in a void, in a vacuum, utterly disconnected from all that came before it. But that's not true. The simple fact is that left-wing radicals spent the entire summer and much of the fall wreaking havoc in our cities and leaving burned-out buildings, looted stores, dead bodies in their wake. They did this in D.C. as well, multiple times, in fact, over the summer. And the aerial shots of the, of the city after their protests looked like something out of Baghdad in 2003. Go look for yourself. Now, it's being argued that the BLM riots were a different sort of thing because, for one, the rioters were not fueled by conspiracy theories, but by valid concerns over police brutality. Um, also, as the argument goes, they were targeting private businesses and not government buildings. So it's a completely different thing and, uh, and uh, not nearly as bad. 
Both of these arguments are, of course, completely wrong on every level. Now, I'm not convinced that any rioters, whether the ones this summer or the ones in the Capitol yesterday, are actually motivated by anything other than a savage desire to destroy purely for the thrill of destruction. That's why I oppose rioting in all its forms all the time. It's illegal and destructive, number one, but also it's fundamentally nihilistic, and I oppose nihilism. But to whatever extent the BLM and Antifa mobs were animated by outrage over police shootings, they were in almost every case wildly wrong about the facts surrounding those police shootings. Indeed, they'd been whipped into a frenzy by falsehoods and conspiracy theories just as outrageous as anything you may hear in the QAnon fever swamps. Many of the police shootings that have provoked rioting over the past several months and years were based on, you know, based on all available evidence, were completely justified. That's just the fact. We talked about Jacob Blake yesterday. One example. In fact, this all began, or at least BLM rose to prominence on the back of the Michael Brown shooting. Hands up, don't shoot. Completely false. Debunked. The movement was born in that falsehood. So it's not as though BLM and Antifa have truth on their side. Far from it. What about their chosen targets? Again, it's not true that they victimized only private businesses. Rioters infiltrated and torched police stations in Minneapolis and Portland. And we hear about uh, yesterday was a dark day. It was unprecedented. I agree, but I think it's also pretty unprecedented. And I felt pretty shocked. I don't know about you. When I saw people infiltrating police stations and burning them to the ground in the middle of American cities. You want to talk about living in a third world country. The federal courthouse in Portland was under sustained violent attack for weeks. Add in all the police cars that were incinerated or demolished by the mob. And the claim that yesterday was unprecedented because it was an attack on government property reveals itself to be entirely absurd. But is it really worse to attack government property anyway? Yeah, I'm not sure I agree with that position. It's surely reprehensible to swarm the Capitol and put our elected officials in danger, but is it better to loot and burn a CVS or a Target and put the workers at those establishments in danger? Was it better when David Dorn was murdered for trying to defend his friend's pawn shop from looters? Is it? Is it really better to burn down a convenience store because you're mad that a violent felon was shot by the cops? Is that better than swarming the Capitol? Can we not agree that all of these acts are barbaric and untenable in a civilized society? Apparently, we can't agree on that point, and that's exactly the problem. Though we're supposed to erase all of this from our mind now and pretend it never happened, the truth, again, is that the media and the Democrat Party spent much of the previous year offering full-throated defenses of rioting and looting and political terrorism. The very same people who are now shaking their heads and muttering tearfully about how the mob violence in D.C. yesterday was a dark and unprecedented moment in American history, were, not but a few weeks ago, openly defending and encouraging mob violence. Recall Chris Cuomo back in June. We'll play this clip for you just to jog your memory. Laughing at the very idea that protests should be peaceful. Listen. Too many see the protest as the problem. No, the problem is what forced your fellow citizens to take to the streets persistent and poisonous inequities and injustice. And please, show me where it says that protests are supposed to be polite and peaceful. Well, and as many people pointed out to Chris Cuomo at the time, it says that actually in uh, the First Amendment. But there was that. Many things like it. Remember, and also remember celebrities like Trevor Noah, 
reclining thoughtfully in their mansions and pontificating about how sometimes protests have to involve violence, violence and arson. It's necessary. Here he is. When you are a have and when you are a have not, you see the world in very different ways. And a lot of the time people say to the have nots, this is not the right way to handle things. When Colin Kaepernick kneels, they say, this is not the right way to protest. When Martin Luther King had children as part of his protests in Birmingham, Alabama, people said having children as your protest is not the right way to do things. When he marched in Selma, people said this is not the right way to do things. When people march through the streets in South Africa during apartheid, they said this is not the right way to do things. When people burn things, they say it's not the it's never the right way because there's never there is never a right way to protest. And I've said this before, there is no right way to protest because that's what protest is. It cannot be right because you are protesting against a thing that is stopping you. That's what protest is. And then many BLM leaders like the president of the Greater New York Black Lives Matter in this interview with Tommy Lahren declaring that rioting is the language of the unheard and that it is a tool of white supremacy to insist on peaceful protests. Listen to this. But you don't say anything against them, though. But how How? you don't say that? You know what? Because a riot is the language of the unheard. Right. And for a country that drops bombs on people, for a country that that incarcerates people, for a country that enslaves people to criticize us. Right. For, for, for vandalism is preposterous. I want to make sure I'm getting you clearly. It is OK to vandalize, to light things on fire and to loot businesses because the United States of America drops bombs on other countries and because we have problems, problems here and we have grievances, people have grievances. It is OK to act in that manner. And you co-sign onto that as the chairman of Black Lives Matter. You were saying that that is OK. Let me explain something to you. I think that it is a tool of white supremacy to say, if you want what you get, if you want freedom, then you get it by protesting peacefully. Why is it a tool of white supremacy? Because the white supremacists who built this country never earned anything peacefully. They did it through bullets and blood. Bullets and blood. You remember anyone on the left, anyone in the media, anyone among any Democrats at all condemning that? When he said it, do you recall that? Because I don't. Far from it. In fact, Democratic leaders like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez insisted that to call for peace is to call for injustice to continue. Listen. If you're trying to call for the end of unrest, but you don't believe health care is a human right, if you're afraid to say black lives matter, if you don't, if you're too scared to call out police brutality, then you aren't asking for an end of unrest. You are asking for injustice to continue. And she wasn't the only member of the squad openly saying there should be unrest in the streets. Ayanna Presley said the same. They know what unrest in the streets is and what it looks like. It looks like burning buildings and dead bodies. They know that, and they called for it directly. See, there's a consequence to these words. There's a consequence to the decision by powerful and influential people to put on their pom-poms and act as cheerleaders for violent, murderous mobs. The consequence is exactly the result they desired, which is the normalization of rioting and the mainstreaming of political violence. That was their endgame. And now it's here. And now they want to wash the blood from their hands and preach about the need for civility. And those of us who object to this charade and call it what it is, 
are accused of whataboutism. I'm not interested in justifying anything that happened at the Capitol on Wednesday. I'm even less interested in allowing the Cretans who set the stage for it by encouraging that sort of behavior for months on end to now pretend they bear no blame. This is not just a matter of accountability, though it is that as well. It's a matter of understanding what's happening in this country in its full context and why it's happening. Because if there's any chance of changing it now, of pulling ourselves back from the brink, we have to, under, we have to start by understanding where we are and how we got here. And that's how. Now let's get to our five headlines. Well, staying on the events in the Capitol, uh, one narrative we're hearing from the left is that the cops went much easier on protesters yesterday than they have on BLM and Antifa. Um, and they went easier, you know, for because they're racist, right? Here's Joy Reid on MSNBC making that case and claiming outright that the rioters yesterday were treated with kid gloves because they're white. That's what she had to say. Listen. It looked like a war zone. Police brought in tanks. They brought in body armor. They were wearing full body armor rubber suits where they almost looked robotic, full gear, enormous, powerful weaponry. And they were phalanxed out all across Baltimore, Penn and North. They were standing menacingly waiting to brutalize anyone who even looked at them funny. The level of force, the level of just almost indiscriminate rudeness, cruelty, hardness of those police officers. And at curfew time, which would be nine o'clock, and then almost every night during that uprising, at some point I would go on with you, Rachel, and describe to you what I was seeing, and it was terrifying. And what terrified me in those moments in Baltimore were not the marchers. I was never afraid among the marchers. The marchers just wanted justice. They just didn't think it was okay to just kill a guy because he looked at the police funny. I was afraid of them. I was afraid of the cops because they were menacing. They knew those marchers were coming every night. They knew there was gonna be a curfew every night. The great Elijah Cummings would walk people home and get them to go home because he didn't want them out after curfew. But there would always be some guys who would stay out after the curfew, who would refuse to go home, who would claim the right to be in their streets. And I was never afraid of them. I was afraid of the cops. White Americans are never afraid of the cops, even when they're committing insurrection. Uh, yeah, that's, and we, we've, we've heard a lot of, of this kind of thing that, well, they, they went easy on, on these uh, protesters, rioters, uh, because they're white. And, you know, look at with BLM, they came down so hard. This is just total, absolute nonsense that we're expected to accept. We're expected to just accept it and pretend that we haven't witnessed what we've witnessed over the last six months. It's not even though there's two years of separation and they want us to pretend that we didn't, we don't remember what happened two years ago, even though there were BLM riots having, happening two years ago too. We're talking about what, what just happened in this country, what we all spent all summer watching. And now they want to pretend like none of it ever happened or just rewrite the history of it in front of our eyes. That is nonsense. Uh, well, yeah, as soon as BLM shows up, the cops come down hard on them. Are you kidding me? You idiot. You liar. The cops stood back and let BLM riot for weeks. 
Look what happened in Kenosha. Days on end, they were allowed to do it. We saw the videos of people just strolling into Targets and CVSs and taking whatever they want and walking out. We all saw that in cities across the country for weeks, you lying snake. We all saw it. So no, no, actually when BLM shows up, that's when the cops sit on their hands because they don't want to be accused of racism. That's the reality. We've all seen it. You're just going to pretend we didn't. You can go on right now if you're, if you're curious. Just go to Google. You can find loads of videos of people just setting things on fire, strolling in, taking what they want, assaulting pedestrians. There's a, there's a video. I forget which city it was in. It might have been in New York. Somebody runs up and bashes a cop over the head with a brick. Nothing happens to that guy on the video. He's not shot for it. Bashes a cop over the head with a brick. Almost kills him. There's multiple videos of that. So that is total nonsense. It's especially nonsense when you consider that the cops yesterday killed somebody. They shot one of these people and killed them. A woman yesterday, Ashley Babbitt, mother, military veteran, 14-year veteran, um, uh, went to the, the protest. She was at the Capitol. She was in the Capitol building. And I'm, you've probably seen the video. I'm not going to play it here if you haven't. It's extremely upsetting. I mean, you're watching somebody die right in front of you. But she tries to climb over a broken door. She's unarmed, and they shoot her and kill her. Okay? That's what... So you're telling us that that's, that's going easy on them, to shoot and kill them. No, here's, here's what we know. Here's what we actually know is the truth. If that was a BLM protest and that was a black woman rather than a white woman, the outrage today from the media would be nuclear. I'm telling you, if it was the exact same situation, exact same, but they're, they're, they're carrying BLM flags and she's black instead of white, the outrage today would be like anything you've ever seen. We all know that. And there'd be more rioting in, in, in uh, response to it. Instead, is there any outrage? Nobody cares. Media doesn't care. If anything, they're justifying it openly. They're, they're, they're celebrating it. You look at what some leftists on Twitter are saying about it. They're happy it happened. So that's the truth. And I'm just not going to sit here and be lied to. I'm sorry. Because the game we're supposed to play as conservatives, you know, what, we're, what we're supposed to do today, what the media tells us we're supposed to do today is uh, just, you know, someone like myself, I'm supposed to sit in front of the camera and say, I condemn what happened yesterday. I condemn it unequivocally. And that's all I have to say. I just condemn it. It's the worst thing that's ever happened in the country. And, uh, and nobody is to blame at all for it except the people doing it. Nothing led up to it. We can't talk about anything else. We're just going to talk about how bad this one thing was. I'm not playing that game because that's a lie and I'm not, I'm not doing it. All right. Number two from the daily wire, uh, says Twitter suspended president Trump, president Donald Trump's account late on Wednesday evening for allegedly violating the site's terms of service multiple times in response to the riots that broke out in Washington, DC Twitter safety reported as a result of the unprecedented ongoing violent situation in Washington, DC, we have required the 
removal of three uh, Donald Trump tweets that were posted earlier today for repeated and severe violations of our civic integrity policy. This means that the account of Donald Trump will be locked for 12 hours following the removal of these tweets. If the tweets are not removed, the account will will remain locked. Yeah. So now he's still the president. So they're not going to, I don't think they're going to ban him from Twitter yet, but you could be sure they're going to. Uh, He's, he, He's as good as finished as far as Twitter goes. They'll restore his account probably today at some point if they haven't already. Um, But January 21st, he's done. They're kicking him off. And I think that's now. And and yes, there's a there's a an egregious double standard there as well, because as I as we have just gone through all these examples, many Democrats have been openly encouraging violence, uh, doing it in public, doing it on TV, but also doing it on Twitter. I mean, I could sit here and dig up some AOC tweets, I'm sure, that uh, are in that vein. And they don't get shut down, right? So there's the double standard there. But also I have to tell you, and maybe it's just because I'm in a, I'm in just in a bad mood today, if you can't tell. Um, I, 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 it's hard for me to feel much sympathy for Donald Trump here on this. Um, it's hard for me to care if he gets kicked off Twitter because Trump had four years to do something about Twitter, to do something about social media censorship, social media bias, and he didn't do anything. That's, that's the truth. He tweeted about it, but you know, as with so many other things, Trump tweeted about it and said he was very angry and he cared about it, but uh, at the end of the day, he didn't actually do anything about it. And so he's going to face consequences for that, and they're going to kick him off because they can. Um, all right, number three. Let's see. From the Daily Wire, it says the Washington Post has issued a major correction, admitting that Jacob Blake, the Kenosha, Wisconsin man shot by police in August, had in fact been armed at the time. The Post on Tuesday, we talked about this yesterday, claimed that uh, in a tweet that police officers won't be charged in shooting of Jacob Blake, an unarmed black man who was shot seven times in the back in Kenosha, Wisconsin. The article itself claimed Blake was unarmed when he was shot. But the Kenosha DA, we played the, the audio for you, debunked that claim at a press conference. Said it was incontrovertible that Blake was armed, and uh, video footage proves it. In fact, he 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 said that Jacob Blake admits that he was armed. Jacob Blake comes out and says, "Yeah, I was armed." And still, the media for months insisted that no, no, you weren't. No, you weren't. You were unarmed. Um. After claiming was Blake was unarmed, the Post updated its article with a correction at the top that reads, "An earlier version of this story incorrectly described Jacob Blake as unarmed, while his family has said he was not armed when shot by police." Prosecutors on Tuesday said video evidence depicts depicts him holding a knife. The story has been corrected. Uh, yeah, they 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 all, just to be clear, they only corrected this because they absolutely had to, because of the backlash they were getting. But if it wasn't for the backlash, they of course would keep that falsehood up there. Because they knew it was false when they published it to begin with. It's not like it was a mistake. They knew it was false. Even before the press conference, it was it was known to everybody with eyes that Jacob Blake was armed because you could see it in the video. You could see him holding a knife. And you could hear them shouting, drop the knife. So if you have eyes and ears, you knew he was armed. And they knew it. So this is a retraction because they were caught. That's all it is. And when you see here, they, they say, well, his family still says that he was, uh, he was not armed. And this also shows something that I guess people are often uncomfortable pointing it out, but it's the reality that oftentimes in these situations with these police shootings, these high-profile police shootings, um, 
oftentimes the families will just straight up lie about what happened. And that's a problem. Now, you, you might say, okay, well, of course, they're biased in favor of their family member. Okay, I still say that doesn't excuse you for lying, especially when your lies are fueling uh, rioting and, and violence and murder, as it did in Kenosha. But either way, um, the, the problem is that whatever the family says, the media will treat the family of the so-called victim as the ultimate authority. And they'll just repeat whatever the family says as if it's fact. But so often it is just not fact at all. They're lying. And if the family here is saying it wasn't armed, they are lying about that. Um, number four, I wanted to play this for you, not to belabor the point, but we were talking about the media's encouragement of rioting, and I played a few examples for you. But this I just saw before we went on the air here. Tom Elliott at Grabian Media put together, I think it's a pretty powerful, I, I didn't even show you the half of it. This is a pretty powerful 90-second compilation that I just want to play for you, just, just, to, just to show you. It says, the media's history of supporting Antifa. It's just from, most of this is from the, la- the past few months. And here's what it sounds like. I argue to you tonight, all punches are not equal morally. In the eyes of the law, yes. But in the eyes of good and evil, here's the argument. They are strictly principled anti-fascists. And what they see in the Trump administration and what they see happening in this country, they see, they see the neo-fascism that we see. And they've taken a principled stand to stand against white supremacists and white nationalists wherever they may show up. It says it right in the name, Antifa, anti-fascism, which is what they were there um, fighting. Listen, there's, you know, no organization is perfect. There was some violence. I think that a lot of people recognize that when pushed, self-defense <clears throat> is a legitimate response to white supremacist and neo-Nazi violence. The problem is to equate the violence in reaction against bigotry with the bigotry itself is to misunderstand the fact that when you go to cancer treatment, the radiation is tough treatment, but it is meant to remove the cancer. There's a group of anti-fascists called the Black Bloc, which do tend to get violent. Their idea is, look, nonviolence hasn't worked and we are going to try to stop this. But they wouldn't have been there. They wouldn't have been anywhere near there had it not been for the fact that white supremacists, neo-Nazis were out scaring the living daylouts out of most of the people in that town. Thuggishness is thuggishness wherever it comes from politically and and we should be the first to call it out. I disagree. I disagree. I don't know. We shouldn't cut it. We shouldn't call out all thuggishness. Not the kind that I like. And that, that really is the difference. I mean, th- th- if they're being honest, uh, the media, and they were to respond to the charge of hypocrisy on this issue, where they were openly supporting rioting for months and now pretending to be shocked and appalled by it, um, and, and violence and all that, and their honest answer is that it, it's okay when we do it. That's it. It's, it is. It's, it's okay when we do it. And if, if, if they're doing it for a leftist cause, and especially if, they're, if their victims are, you know, the, have the right uh, ideology and skin color, then right in terms of right for, for, for being the victim, then it's okay. That's their answer. That's really what they believe. That's, that's I guess, the advantage of being a moral relativist, that you don't have to hold yourself to any standard at all. Something can be totally wrong 
when one person does it and totally okay when someone else does it. Because there is no moral, there is no objective moral truth. There is no universal moral standard that everybody has held to. And that's what we're seeing here. All right, five, finally, big celebrity news from CNN. Here it is. Kim Kardashian West and Kanye West are figuring out their future and whether they're going to stay married, according to two sources close to Kardashian West, who spoke to CNN. The sources confirm that West has been living at their home in Wyoming in recent months, while his wife stayed in California with their children. They've been living separately for the last few months. Uh, they've been in marriage counseling and have discussed divorce. And sorry, as, I read, as I'm reading this, I'm just realizing how little I care. I'm realizing that I don't care at all about this story. Um, but there it is. They're getting divorced. I, it's, it's, it's too bad, and, I, and, uh, and hopefully they'll, they'll work out their differences. That's my full analysis on that particular story. Now, I'll tell you one problem that I have, and it's a pretty, pretty significant problem, especially I find myself in Ubers and, and taking you know, car services places a lot. So I'm in, I'm in the back of cars, and, uh, and that's when it's a problem when I, when I, because I get very car sick. And what you don't want to do is vomit in an Uber. And you also don't want to have to ask them to pull over so that you can be sick, because that's also embarrassing. And that's why I use Relief Band. Relief Band is the number one FDA-cleared anti-nausea wristband that has been clinically proven to quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraine, hangover, morning sickness, chemotherapy, and so much more. The product is 100% drug-free, non-drowsy, provides all-natural relief with zero side effects. Technology was originally developed over 20 years ago in hospitals to relieve nausea from patients, but now through Relief Band, it's available to the masses. Relief Band is the only over-the-counter wearable device that's been used in hospitals and oncology clinics to treat nausea and vomiting. Uh, and the other great thing in my experience, my daughter also uses one, is that you know you can you can stop and get uh, you know they have medicine for for motion sickness, but a lot of that a lot of that stuff will make you drowsy. And if you have to drive, or even if you don't have to drive, but if you got to be awake for the rest of the day, then you don't want to be drowsy. And that's where a relief band again comes in handy. This new year ensured nausea is never the reason to miss out on life's important moments. Right now, Relief Band has an exclusive offer just for Matt Walsh listeners. If you go to reliefband.com, use promo code Walsh, you'll receive 20% off plus free shipping and a no-questions-asked 30-day money-back guarantee. So head to R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D.com and use our promo code Walsh for 20% off. Uh, also, one other thing to mention, you know, there's a reason why the media creates narratives about conservatives, and it has less to do with politics. It has more to do with culture, which is which is shaped by the content we consume. That's, that's where, like I've talked about, that's the real... That's going to be the real influential and, uh, and harmful bias, even more than in the news media. It's in the entertainment that we consume. The left has put media and entertainment in a vice grip, and it's time now to take it back. Daily Wire is releasing its first feature film. We're very excited about it. Run, Hide, Fight on Friday, January 15th for Daily Wire members. You can check out the trailer at the Daily Wire YouTube. Go there now and check it out. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Today we're going to cancel Gretchen Whitmer, the empress of Michigan, who has driven many of her citizens into financial ruin over the past many months. But that's not why we're canceling her now. She's being canceled for this tweet. This is from yesterday morning. She says, good morning. No problem there. Um, not really anyway. And th but there's a photo of a, a prayer candle adorned with the image of Stacey Abrams. Abrams is wearing a robe, holding a Bible, has a halo around her head. This is not the only example of religious worship being directed at Stacey Abrams, who many on the left credit with helping to mobilize support for the Democrat candidates in Georgia, which ultimately won them the state and the Senate. 
And that's why they're being especially worshipful towards her today. Actor Mark Ruffalo also tweeted a picture of Abrams along with the caption, Stacey Abrams is a real super superhero, once again, saving us all. And as noted by The Hill, says, quote, comedian Chelsea Handler and Frozen songwriter, Chris, uh, songwriter Kristen Anderson Lopez suggested statues should be erected in Abramson's honor. And West Wing alum uh, Richard Schiff floated making her person of the year while actress Rosanna Arquette predicted the Fair Fight Action founder would be the recipient of the country's highest civilian honor. Also, Cher said that Abrams is a goddess. But topping them all is a tweet from a guy named Jeff Tiedrich saying, quote, I want to bear Stacey Abramson's children. He wants to bear her children, which I'm told these days is possible somehow. But just so you know, if, if anyone ever asks you for the definition of the term beta male, just show them that tweet. That's, uh, that's it right there. The personality cult around Stacey Abrams is, I have to say, one of the absolute weirdest things in American politics, which is saying quite a lot these days, especially. She is not charismatic or especially impressive or accomplished. She's a mediocre failed politician, much like Kamala Harris, who's also now lauded as a deity in her own right, which we discussed earlier in the week. But I suppose we should expect the Stacey Abrams personality cult to be weird because they're all weird. All the personality cults. And so on second thought, I'm canceling all personality cults of all kinds, especially those that form around politicians, or in this case, would-be politicians. Now, it's one thing to support a politician, even to like a politician. Personally, I tend to dislike all of them by default, and then at best, I'll develop a mild tolerance for the ones that disgust me the least. That's, that's pretty much as far as I go. You could ask me which politicians do I like. I can't really tell you that. I can tell you which ones disgust me the least. Which am I least repulsed by? That's, that's as far as I can go. I'm not suggesting that everybody should be as cynical as me. But if not cynical, we should at least be skeptical of politicians. We should always keep in mind that they're in a position of power over people and that they wanted that position. That's why they're there. Now, it could be that they wanted it because they have such a deep and abiding passion for public service. Maybe. That may be the case for like four or five politicians in the history of America. The rest, though, you know, they may have some degree of passion for public service. But the fact is that there's also a fair amount of narcissism, greed, self-interest, and so on that propels their drive to power. I mean, you just have to think about what is it that would make you want be, have power and control over people? Why would you go through all this just so you could be in this position? Again, you, you might have noble reasons, but most of the time for most people, you don't. Now, as you know, I plan to one day be the theocratic dictator of America, and it's entirely greed and narcissism that fuels that desire for me. So I know what I'm talking about here. The point is that the only safe and prudent and truly American attitude towards politicians is one of cautious skepticism. Support them when they're right, criticize them when they're wrong, and never expect them to be your savior or your goddess or your god. This is one of the great problems we face in American society today, I think, in my view. Even if people are not literally putting halos around a politician and lighting prayer candles with her face on it, still, many Americans have been conditioned to look to politicians, especially politicians on the national stage, for the answers to their problems. You know, we're searching for someone to save us, to restore our hopes and dreams and everything. But that is not something a politician can do. 
And the, one, the ones that promise they can do it are always lying. And they all promise they can do it. So what does that tell you? If America is to be saved, whatever that means exactly, it will happen in your home, in your family, and in everybody else's. Mother Teresa famously said, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. It sounds like a, a platitude, but there's a deep truth in it. And it's much better than, if you want to change the world, go vote for this, this person who will solve all your problems. That's a cultish mentality. And it's part of what's destroying us right now, which is why it is canceled. But again, especially the cult around Stacey Abrams, because that one is just her of all people. I mean, at least choose someone who's charismatic. At least then you know, I can sort of understand it. But Stacey Abrams? Come on. Canceled, canceled, canceled. Down the board. But that's going to do it for us today. Thanks for watching, everybody. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Michael Knowles Show, and The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodowski. The show is edited by Danny D'Amico. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is done by Nika Geneva. And production assistant, McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. If you prefer facts over feelings, aren't offended by the brutal truth, and you can still laugh at the insanity filling our national news cycle, well, tune in to The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get a whole lot of that and much more. See you there. Mm-hmm. 